Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. From fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. Hunton closed his eyes, and in the darkness he could see the Hadley Watson speed ironer again as it had been that afternoon. It formed a long, rectangular box in shape, 30 feet by 6. At the feeder end, a moving canvas belt moved under the safety bar, up at a slight angle, and then down. The belt carried the dramp-dyed, wrinkled sheets in continuous cycle over and under 16 huge revolving cylinders that made up the main body of the machine. Over 8 and under 8, pressed between them like thin ham between layers of superheated bread. Steam heat in the cylinders could be adjusted up to 300 degrees for maximum drying. The pressure on the sheets that rode the moving canvas belt was set at 800 pounds per square foot to get out every wrinkle. And Miss Frawley, somehow, had been caught and dragged in. The steel asbestos-jacketed pressing cylinders had been as red as barn paint, and the rising steam from the machine had carried the sickening stench of hot blood. Bits of her white blouse and blue slacks, even ripped segments of her brawn panties, had been torn free and ejected from the machine's far end 30 feet down. The bigger sections of cloth folded with grotesque and blood-stained neatness by the automatic folder. But not even that was the worst. Hello again, Books and Nachos listeners. I'm Arnie, your host, continuing my reviews of short stories from Stephen King's Night Shift Collection. In the archives at Books and Nachos, you can hear my reviews of Jerusalem's Lot, Graveyard Shift, Quitters Incorporated, The Ledge, and several other stories from this anthology. And today, I'm looking at The Mangler. This story was first published in Cavalier Magazine in December 1972, the fourth Stephen King story printed in that nudie mag that year. But the buyers of Cavalier back then were likely more interested in the naked women than a short story about a killer laundry machine written by a then-unknown author. King was then still two years shy of Carey's publication. The Mangler follows police officer John Hunton as he investigates a series of deaths and injuries at the Blue Ribbon Laundry, all of which involve the Hadley Watson Model 6 speed ironer and folder. It's a giant machine used to automatically de-wrinkle and fold bedding and other large linens. Even before the accidents began, the employees at Blue Ribbon had nicknamed the machine The Mangler. Half a dozen state safety inspectors have gone over the machine and can find nothing wrong with it. The safety bar, which shuts down the machine if a hand or other thick object were to enter the feeder, seems to be working fine, which leaves no explanation for how laundry worker Adele Frawley could have gotten her hand caught and been sucked entirely into the machine, her body flattened by the rollers, her remains folded. Adele was just the first of several injuries and deaths caused by the machine. Later, a steam pipe breaks, and it burns three workers, hospitalizing one. Then a maintenance man is oiling the beast when it roars to life. A co-worker tried to turn it off. He even pulled the fuses, cutting the power to the building, but the mangler continued to run. The co-worker was able to save the man's life by hacking off his arm with a fire axe. Officer Hunton can find no reason to shut the laundry company down or order the machine stopped. There was nothing technically wrong with the machine. All these injuries and deaths were chalked up to a string of bad accidents, but Hunton has a bad feeling about the mangler, like it's wrong. It's a feeling one of the state inspectors, Roger Martin, also shared with the police officer. 
As one person in the story puts it, quote, it was as if the machine had tasted blood and found it liked it, unquote. But Hunton's friend, college professor Mark Jackson, has another possible explanation, that the mangler is possessed by a demon. The very first injury with the mangler was a worker who accidentally cut her hand and bled on the machine, the virgin blood being the last in a string of accidental ingredients required for a ritual to raise a bloodthirsty demon. Can Hunton and Jackson stop the demon? That's the central plot of this short story. Now, I first read The Mangler in junior high with the rest of Night Shift, but I remembered nothing about it when I started the Stephen King review series. All I remembered was the central conceit, a killer laundry machine. In my hazy memory, I even thought it was a washing machine, a ludicrous concept that I couldn't fathom how to make dangerous or scary. So in reading this story to prepare for now playing's upcoming The Mangler film retrospective, I was happy to see that the beast is not a possessed Maytag washer, but rather a large industrial laundry press. An only slightly less crazy concept. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that any large machine can be dangerous. There are many warning signs around even the conveyor belts for luggage at airports. Newspaper printing presses, automotive factories, the machines that pulp lumber into paper. I get that all these workplaces carry with them a very serious danger where someone can lose a finger or larger body part and, in really bad cases, even their lives. Even items as benign as giant clocks have gears and rotors that, due to their size and speed, can cause injury or death. Movies such as Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times may play these types of things for comedy, Child's Play and Terminator playing them for action, but standing next to any large whirring machine is humbling. The pure speed, these machines always work fast because time is money and the faster a machine can operate, the more a company can make. But there's a difference between standing next to a giant machine that can be unintentionally dangerous and trying to sell a horror fantasy about one that actually wants to kill people. Add to that the idea of a demonic possession, a large, heavy, immobile machine that's deadly, and the result is, well, comedy. Not that Stephen King saw it that way. Despite the subject matter, King plays this story straight, going for the gore and the scares of death and dismemberment. And admittedly, King has a reason to know the fear of a large laundry press. He's a second-generation laundry press witness. In his autobiographical instructional book on writing, the author tells that during his junior high school years, his mother's job was to feed big sheets into the mangle, a big-speed ironer. After college, before King found work teaching English, King followed in his mother's footsteps, taking a job at New Franklin Laundry cleaning industrial linens. His boss there had lost both hands in World War II, not to battle, but to what King calls a sheet mangler. It's interesting that King writes himself into this story in the role of Professor Mark Jackson, an English teacher who used to work at an industrial laundry. But the brief stories King tells in On Writing of maggots feeding on the blood-soaked hospital sheets and rancid lobster stains on tablecloths make the job sound ghastly. Certainly, the horrors described in On Writing are more disgusting and scary than anything King wrote in The Mangler. Because, because in this story, the fact that the machine itself is so deadly and destructive is not really the danger. This isn't the tale of a cheap company whose unsafe labor practices result in the death of its workers. That story, 
while horrific in its own right and the fact that it really happens, is not a horror story. So to elevate this tale of industrial danger to meet that standard and befit an issue of Tales from the Crypt, King has added a supernatural element, demonic possession. Really, that seems to be, at this stage of his career, and that being 1978 when Night Shift was released, King's method. I've read literally a hundred interviews with King in just the past year as research for these podcasts, and King repeatedly laments the question, where do you get your ideas? He makes a joke that he found a used idea store in Poughkeepsie that sells them cheap. But there really is a far simpler, less clever answer. King looks at things in his real life and then adds a supernatural element. Carrie, the picked-on fat girl in school, an amalgam of real girls King knew as a student and as a teacher, but she becomes telekinetic. The Shining, King's own fear of being an abusive father, and his fear in a large abandoned hotel, but add ghosts. Graveyard Shift, King's real-life experience working at a mill, but add mutated creatures. One for the road, a real fear of a car breakdown during a bad main winter storm, but add vampires. Trucks, semi-trucks are scary enough in the real world, but imagine if they were malevolent. King just uses the supernatural as a trigger to take something in the real world and create the ultimate, most deadly scenario from it. Now, not all King fiction begins with this kind of what-if scenario. Salem's Lot started with Bram Stoker's Dracula, not any real-world item. And the Dead Zone is also less object-oriented, but I think that the stereotype of King's fiction is demonic something, demonic car, evil dog possessed hotel. And I mention this because taking the boring objects in everyday life and turning them deadly has led to some of my favorite King stories. And then we have The Mangler, a story that I feel just does not work. I think the original premise is flawed. While, as I mentioned, these giant machines of all sorts are dangerous, they're not out to get you. You fall into them. They're poorly maintained, so they break and you get hurt. But in the end, they're immobile objects and stand two feet away and they can't get you, be they demonically possessed or normal. Now, despite what happens in the story's climax, for the bulk of this tale, the mangler is just sitting at the laundry. While the mangler is murderous, its attacks are uniformly crimes of opportunity. A worker is oiling the machine, so it roars to life. A worker gets her hand caught, it sucks her in. But otherwise, it just sits there, ironing sheets and longing for the next stupid person to touch it in the wrong place. More, demon or no, it's a machine. It can be burned. It can be dismantled. This is clearly indicated in King's own story when the safety inspector Martin tells Hunton of a similar killer machine. This one, an icebox. This killer icebox, an idea only slightly more ridiculous than a killer laundry press, took the lives of a dog, six birds, and a child before it was stopped. But it was stopped with a screwdriver and a wrench. A dump worker removed the icebox door and voila, danger gone. So if you have a machine that's killed one person, critically wounded two others, I don't think it would take too much prodding by a lawyer to get the machine decommissioned and as large as it is, that means dismantling the thing. Or if Officer Hunton can't get the machine dismantled through legal means, the machine could be vandalized. But no, they decide to exercise the machine. Now sure, in 1972 that would be a new concept. 
William Blatty's Exorcist novel would only be a year old and the movie still many months away. But that an English professor and a cop go to the holy water and the Eucharist before going to the toolbox is absurd. Equally eye-rolling is the method in which the mangler becomes possessed. I'd like to preface this by saying I don't think King needed to explain why a laundry folder becomes possessed. It's unnecessary. Several of the stories here in Night Shift have evil without explanation, including Trucks, a story that is so damn similar to the Mangler. Both are about machines that become homicidal, but in Trucks, we never learn why. But with the Mangler, much of the story is devoted to finding out how it happened. In fact, Hunton will only become convinced there's a demon when he's put together the source of every ingredient needed to summon one. But it happened by accident. No one is trying to sabotage the laundry company or kill the workers by invoking a murderous spirit. No, some antacids, batshit, jello, and blood happen to get in the machine. Apparently, voodoo is so inexact that you don't need to worry about ratios, quantity, or even time. Nor do you have to recite any incantation or do anything deliberately. Drop some virgin blood and some jello with a few other things and ooh! Crap, there's a demon. I mean, how can it not be played for laughs that the ultimate ingredient, the one that made the demon so powerful, was antacids? I think that with an easy fix, this story could be rectified. There needed to be an evil here more mobile than this machine. There needed to be a master with the mangler as its tool. King wrote that story in Night Shift with the Lawnmower Man, the magical spirit is corporeal. The lawnmower is the tool of the sacrifice. If someone, a person, had raised the demon intentionally, if the immobile demon was serving a human master, then there's someone around to give you that push into the machine, to feed you to the mangler. More, there would be a real reason beyond happenstance that the machine was malevolent. That was the case in a somewhat similar episode of Friday the 13th, the series, that had a demonic mulcher. You'd put in a human body, and the mulcher would have money fly out the other side. But that only worked because there was a greedy person killing people and feeding them to the machine. It would have been even more silly to have the mulcher going around attacking people of its own accord, as it is with this laundry folder. I do want to give King a bit of credit, though. I've given negative reviews to several of his short stories here due to poor writing and characters that don't feel real and scenes that are poorly described. I actually think King's writing in The Mangler is well done. The main characters of Hunton and Jackson have an easy camaraderie that feel like old friends. During one of their conversations about The Mangler, King has them, funny enough, in a coin-operated laundromat. And King writes, quote, He had met Mark Jackson in a washeteria in the block that separated their houses, and it was there that the cop and the English professor still had their most interesting conversations, end quote. With one sentence, King develops an entire history for two characters, giving them a routine, though we only see it play out once. It explains how two people as dissimilar as an English professor and a cop can be good friends, and I believed it. Likewise, the Blue Ribbon Laundry workplace feels real. It's likely based on King's own workspace, but I can visualize the ill-kept, humid, sweaty workplace and pity the women who have to toil feeding sheet after sheet into the machines. The writing shows a lot of talent in a story completely unworthy of those prose. So, to sum it up, I don't think this is the worst story in Night Shift, but it is the most absurd. 
And yet, somehow, this story not only got optioned for a movie, but they made three of them. Yes, three movies, all based on this 20-page short story. And how did they stretch this story to the length of one feature, let alone three? And did they incorporate some of the things I'd have liked to see that could, in my opinion, help this story be a little more exciting? Well, you can find out starting this Tuesday at NowPlayingPodcast.com, where Jacob Stewart and I will be watching and reviewing all three Mangler films. The first one has Robert Englund and Ted Levine in it. So here are my thoughts on that movie and its sequels at NowPlayingPodcast.com. The story does have one thing that makes me smile, though. An Easter egg tie to Carrie. In that novel, the girl's mother, Margaret White, works where? At Blue Ribbon Laundry, feeding the speed ironer and folder. It's the same company and the same damned machine. While it's likely King included that detail of Margaret based on his own mother's previous employment, it's a nice little tie between the two. Maybe Margaret worked at a different location and Blue Ribbon is a chain, but the town in which the Mangler takes place isn't mentioned. The only city mentioned by name is Milton, Maine, which sits about two hours outside Chamberlain, Maine, the town Carrie destroyed in that novel. So it's fun to think that Margaret White may have been feeding sheets into the Mangler, or maybe it's a less sentient replacement machine. And Blue Ribbon Laundry will return in an upcoming Books and Nachos, but not for a Stephen King book per se. Blue Ribbon Laundry also cameos in Richard Bachman's second novel, Roadwork. But there's still about half of Night Shift to get through, plus the stand, before we get to that Bachman novel. So next week, I'll be back with another Night Shift review. As Now Playing is spending three weeks discussing The Mangler, and God, I still can't believe that, I'm going to take that opportunity to go and review a few Night Shift stories that haven't been made into movies. Next week, I'll be reading and reviewing Night Surf, the third story in the Night Shift collection. I hope you'll join me here at booksandnachos.com for that review. And in the meantime, please keep coming to the forums and keep emailing me at show at booksandnachos.com or tweeting me at TheArnieC. I'm really enjoying the discussion these King reviews are bringing. Do you like The Mangler as a story? Do you disagree with me that it's a silly tale? Or do you agree completely? Please, join in the discussion. These podcasts are a labor of love, but what I love isn't just the King material, but also talking to some of King's other constant readers about his work. So please keep writing in, and also please continue to support your local bookstore. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word about our show by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find dozens more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.